friends to this ground and liegemen to the dane give you good night oh farewell honest soldier who hath relieved you bernardo has my place give you good night I'm Zach Powers. And this is Stage of Fools. The unofficial Royals podcast. Tonight we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 9, Oh Farewell, Honest Soldier. As the Privy Council prepares to choose either Cyrus or Robert as the future King of England, the royal family struggles to decide where their loyalties lie. Jasper returns, at great consequence to James Hill. More like, Oh Farewell, Honest Robert. Am I right? Well, that was our, that was our assu- uh, assumption going <laughs> in, but it didn't seem to pan out quite uh, like that. No, it was less about the farewell and more about the honest part than I expected. I mean, oh man, this episode. Mm, actually, yeah, I would say that <laughs> going into this, a lot of what we assumed would happen just kind of didn't. Even the predictions we were making as we were watching the episode weren't coming mm-hmm. true, which I gotta say... For us, not to pat ourselves on the back too much, for us it's kind of rare. It's just that we've been watching this show since it started, and I feel like we usually have a pretty good hold on uh, whatever Mark Schwann is, whatever curveball Mark Schwann is going to hold at us next. But we watched this episode together, and it took two watches to even begin to parse what was going on for me. There were whole scenes where I had no idea what was going on uh well part of that is because the last two or three episodes which i was noting i think if you listen back to our past couple at the time seemed to do a lot of kind of screwing around when they i felt like they should have been plot building and i think this episode bores that out because they cram like three episodes worth of plot in mostly the first half of this episode yeah, if you couldn't hear the difference, uh, Zach and I are together once again for this episode in person. And at a certain point when we were watching it, I turned to him and said, this episode is a hot season two mess because it really feels like um a throwback to the days of the show that drove me the most insane, which this episode completely did. Yeah, the first scene in the episode, I would say, was one where specifically Shannon came to the conclusion that Robert was going to fail in his bid because it was uh the sort of it was it was it was Robert in front of Big Ben talking about how what he was pretty confident in his particular yeah this scene was like almost hilariously poorly written um Robert is sitting on a park bench wearing just like a baseball cap and you know one of the Henstridge family's signature fashionable motorcycle jackets and Catherine walks up to him and says like how long have you been here for he goes most of the night no one expects the next king of england to be sat on a bench all night and in this scene like the all the dialogue between him and Catherine is just him being like i'm king i'm ready to be king i'm going to be king i am the future king you're talking to the next king and they were playing it so heavy-handed that i was thinking oh this is like going to show that he's gonna have 
pride before his fall. Right. I think the thinking was that it's sort of like that scene in a war movie where one of the guys is like, <laughs> I can't wait to get home and see my baby. We're going to get married <laughs> yeah. next weekend. And immediately the assumption is, well, that guy's clearly going to die because they've just set up the stakes for how sad that <laughs> it's would nothing. be. It's nothing. Yeah. That's this scene also had one of those moments that TV shows do where two characters end a conversation and one of them walks away, but no one says like goodbye or see you later. Like he kisses her and then just walks out of the scene. Yeah. And then the title card hits. The thing about this episode that like when we were watching it, I was like, oh my god, how are we even going to do a stage of fools about this episode? Is it flashes around in time between the preparation for the Privy Council the Privy Council itself, and what happens after the Privy Council. And in order to make this episode at all comprehensible for our listeners, especially our listeners who don't actually tune into the show, instead of talking about what happens scene by scene in order of the show, we're just going to talk about what happens somewhat chronologically. We can get through and it. <laughs> to complicate that, there's even one flashback to a previous episode, specifically the one where Robert comes back and Cyrus tells him that Daddy's dead. Simon is dead. So there's just flashbacks upon flashback, and they didn't even have the courtesy they had in the previous episodes to give us intense Dutch angles every time <laughs> they went back in time. So it's kind of hard to keep track. Yeah, and like that blue lighting. Uh, lead up to the Privy Council, like Zach said, this is all stuff that sort of should have been happening episodes and episodes ago. Um, but... They wanted to have a character named Sarah Alice, who was a cute little girl. So instead, this episode, we have to fit all of the plot in. And uh, it starts with James Hill being awoken very late at night with some sort of an emergency call. We don't really yeah. know what's going on. Um, we should also say that in the scene with the pre-title uh, card scene with Robert and Catherine, they established the way they're going to <laughs> announce or not announce a new king. Like, they have their own, like, white smoke pope method, <laughs> which is specifically that at midnight, the night of the Privy Council, if the bell rings in Big Ben, then there is new king. And if not, then Cyrus remains the king. Which sounds like the worst way of announcing a new leader of government. But I did enjoy... Uh, Westcott, who I've also referred to as the wormtail of this show, like the old man who got sexually blackmailed by Cyrus because he had a he had sex with a sex worker while he was wearing a diaper and Cyrus caught it on camera. Um, he says, if the euphonious tones of Big Ben ring out, we shall have a new king. And I was like, honestly, it's almost worth it just to hear the word euphonious mm -hmm. on the royals, <laughs> way outside of their usual vocabulary. Yeah, I think they use the word... Uh... I think they say both with felicity and uh, felicitous. Felicitous? Felicitous. What am I thinking? Actually, adding an extra I in there. But they say <laughs> that at least twice. I feel like they're really trying to, to class up the Privy Council scenes a little bit. I feel like they were trying to British up the Privy Council scenes quite Maybe a bit. So. We're leading up to the Privy Council, and we all know that if this were real life, it wouldn't even really be a contest. The public has watched Cyrus jail a political cartoonist for making a very slightly unflattering joke about him. He drove his car through the very beloved King Simon's monument after canceling its unveiling, and, like, there's no way that the press has totally kept a lid on the fact that he is, you know, that he was drunk during that incident and that he's a, a drug user at times. I mean, this feels like the most obvious choice of all time, but the show treats it like there is 
an actual question, not just in the minds of the Privy Council, but in the minds of the rest of the royal family. Before we go any further, I think what we probably just have to do is, even though a lot of the stories are fairly intertwined in this particular episode, we really do have to probably just talk about sort of each character's role, because... Every scene is like 30 seconds long in the first half of this episode, and there's just no way we can follow through. Yeah, let's start with Eleanor, because she actually gets very little screen time in this episode and and doesn't have too much to do. Right. So Jasper is back in the palace, and Eleanor finds this out, and she runs into him. She has her bodyguard, Rosie, and she's like, I want to talk to you. And he's like, it's good to see you, but he won't talk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, and then she's like finally yelling at him and saying, I'm so done with this shit, which is how I've felt for several seasons now. And as she tries to walk past him, he catches her wrist. And then the worst moment of fight choreography of all time happens because as he catches her wrist, Rosie's like, step away from the princess. And then Jasper and Rosie in very, very obvious fight choreography that is feels slow and clunky point their guns at each other at the same time. Yeah. And Jasper's uh, like, you better make sure your safety's off because I assure you mine is. And then there's a very awkward kind of point of view shot of her checking her safety and turning it off, which made me feel like the implication there is Jasper is the better fighter or gunman or something like that and he kind of had the drop on her technically speaking it's annoying because she's a soldier so there's no reason why that should be the case yeah i don't know jasper just has like secret james bond powers that's his superpower (laughs) the difference between jasper and rosie is that jasper is like ready to kill at any moment right let me at him let me at him anyway eleanor is like if you do shoot him aim for the heart he already broke mine and he lets her go. Yes. Eleanor appears in a couple other scenes, but the only one really significant to her particular story that I could think of is almost near the end where uh, Jasper comes into her room after the Privy Council meeting. We'll discuss the results of that in due time, though I think we've already foreshadowed it. Tries to confront her one last time. He starts to explain the entire situation, which he should have done immediately, like upon... <laughs> The revelation that Harper has this story, like, he should have immediately been like, okay, this is the story. And then they could have maybe even done the same stuff they did, but did it together. Like, but she cuts him off and doesn't want to hear it and explains that she's basically through giving him chances before he has an opportunity to explain, like, oh, like, his from his perspective, I guess, theoretically, Whatever. he did it for her. She's already given him, like, 200 <clears throat> chances over the course of this show. Sure. <laughs> Prince Sebastian Idrisi has made another appearance. He and Eleanor continue to be friendly and flirtatious, but they haven't actually had anything mm-hmm. romantic happen between them. And he says, like, I bought this old chain of hotels. I'm going to transform them. They're all over the world. Come with me for six months. Every month we'll spend in a different country. And, like, I admire your skills as a designer. You could redecorate all my hotels. Like, I want to turn them into this really cool thing. And Eleanor's like, I'm a princess. I have duties and my charity work. And he says that he'll donate a proceed of part of every booking to the charity of her choice. Not just, like, the opening of the hotels. Every booking. That's huge. 
I really like Sebastian. I really like the idea of Eleanor um, having something to do besides pine after a man. Uh, but I'm guessing that there's going to be something stupid in the next episode. The reveal is like, Sebastian was evil. He didn't really care about you. He was just using you for your fame because he's the seventh prince in line or something like that. Because um, Jasper asked Harper, the journalist, to find out dirt about Sebastian. And we, that hasn't come to fruition yet. And I don't think the show actually wants Eleanor to get over Jasper. That's true. Which oh. is annoying. But Eleanor's telling Jasper in their final confrontation, like... After the coronation, I'm going to be someone more than a princess. Yes, if he were actually a good romantic partner at all, he would be in full support of that. It's very probable that they'll reveal some horrible truth about Sebastian, but at the same time, I feel like there's a number of things that we thought were going to pay off that we're getting less and less sure are going to pay off in this particular season. There was so much stuff stuffed into this season that, yeah, it is... Hard to tell, but I'm still going to keep sprinkling my predictions in there. I like to have them on record so that I can uh, have bragging rights if any of them do end yeah. up coming true. That Sebastian scene also is notable for giving a little bit of screen time to the both uh, to the two portraits in Eleanor's room, both of which are very, very solid. Um, particularly, they point out the one that she spray painted way back in season one yeah. she spray painted the face of. I yeah. love that picture. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, like I've said before, I really like that they gave um, this idea of Eleanor being a designer because it makes sense that her, like, fashion sense would translate into interior design and she kind of has an eye for, like, what goes well together and what looks cool and, and all, all that, that jazz. jazz. But... Again, I'm letting myself get way too attached to the idea that the show would let Eleanor be happy for more than five minutes. Is there minutes. any shot of the big Simon portrait in this one? Because yes. this is a big one for portraits. Yes. So this is a big episode for all the portraits. There's a there's those ones in Eleanor's room, the Simon one, and a new one uh, later on. Pretty much wraps up Eleanor's like Eleanor only yeah. aspect of we'll the storyline. We'll talk about line. her a little bit in the Privy Council she, scenes, but the Privy Council scenes. Probably just we'll talk about that as Robert and Cyrus's storyline, but they intersect with a lot of these other characters. Helena is still having an affair with the quote unquote American Jack Parker, who, you know, is always complimenting uh, the view that he has. And there's this really weird scene between the two of them where she admits that she's the one who helped Cyrus supersede her children to the throne because she wanted to have control. And it's just weird to hear her talk about it because. The show tries to frame it like they didn't completely change her personality from like season halfway through season two to now. So um, she says like that she wanted to run the family the way she wanted to. But now that she has Robert to take care of things for her, she can kind of like let go a little bit. And Jack Parker says like, well, whatever happens at the Privy Council when the decision is made at midnight. Whether you're here or not, it's not going to make a difference. So come fly to Wyoming with me tonight. There's no other chance. Like, come now. And he's mm, yeah. right about how Helena can't make a difference once the Privy Council is over. Although, obviously, her opinion is needed at the Privy Council itself because she's, like, the acting queen, basically. Yeah. But I still couldn't really get on board with Jack's point because... Yeah, she isn't strictly needed, but how often is your son potentially crowned king of a nation? Um, 
that's a fair point. <laughs> um, I think that, uh, I do think that one thing that's notable about the Privy Council, of course, is that, of course, for the actual, um, sort of council meeting where everybody gives their accounts of the people, she is there. And there are th three chairs to the side of each person, but Cyrus's are all empty and, he didn't call any witnesses. <laughs> yeah, and Helena, like he didn't even get Baroness Saffron up in there to give a character. I don't know that she'd be the most eloquent uh, she's, character reference. I don't know. She's quite the little actress after mm. how she ensnared Westcott. Yeah, and apparently these Privy Council members are all horny old men, so maybe that would have been an effective maneuvering strategy. <laughs> um. Anyways, the other thing about uh, American Jack Parker's plan... <laughs> is that he wants to take Helena to Wyoming. Wyoming. <laughs> Which is the least populous state in this nation for a reason. There are a lot of places in America that I can see Helena liking. Like, why not the vineyard country of California? Or sure, she'd love like that. that. Yeah. But no, Wyoming. Although I guess she likes horses. She Despite might like the horseback horse riding, but I feel, like, I feel like she'd want to go back to a very well-staffed, like, lodge or something like that after a yeah. day of horseback riding. Like, if she wanted to see the beautiful mountains, she should go to a very, very affluent mountain town that's, like, like Aspen, where if yeah. you're very rich, you can get, like, an extremely elegant hotel. Mm -hmm. She would probably enjoy that. Wyoming, not so many of those kind. He'd probably just take her to a ranch somewhere. He really did the wrong move in suggesting Paris and then Wyoming in that order. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like, oh, he took me to Paris, where next? Wyoming. Okay. Eleanor encourages her mother to take a chance and go, but later on she goes to look for her mom, I think kind of hoping that she had left and she wouldn't find her. Mm -hmm. And... Helena is like, no, yeah. I stayed. My chance to be something outside the royal family has passed, but you still have a chance. And they, like, tearfully embrace. And I gotta say, all the mother-daughter stuff, even though it is built on the shakiest foundation because of how bad Helena treated Eleanor in the previous seasons, I found myself getting emotional during this bit. Like, Elizabeth Hurley is really at her best when she's paired with one of the actors playing her kids. Yeah. Because... She is a mom in real life. Her son has already appeared on the show. And she seems to have, like, a really genuine rapport with Alexandra Park. And I, I guess to the show's uh, credit, they gave the minorest bit of lip service to the fact that this character is extremely different from the Helena of season yeah. one. Because when she's talking to American Jack Parker. Packer? Parker. Parker. But okay. it's hard to tell because his fake accent is so bad. Um, she talks about how she used to want control and power by however means whatever means necessary, and now she's just tired, which is still not a very good explanation because the shift was so sudden and it not shown. But... It would have been a more believable explanation if she had been like, I wanted power and control, and then in trying to get power and control, I humiliated myself and two of my children in front of the entire country by pretending that they were bastards when they were actually biologically royal. And I realized that I'm not as good at scheming as I thought I was, so I decided to take a back seat and let my son, who is very good at scheming, take the wheel. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
Helena wishes she were half the schemer Robert was. Well, the thing is... Schemes, dreams, and misdemeans. I think she still believes that she is, even though she's not. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, like, that... I don't That's know if it. we'll see... I Oh, the indication I get from the next episode is that there'll be something related to Parker in it, but this has kind of been a blah, nothing, I don't, don't care storyline the entire... Yeah. The entire season so far? I think they're trying to set up something emotional to happen between her and Spencer, the Lord Chamberlain. Like Who was not in this episode. He's, the, he's a commoner and he's not wealthy, but he's the one who really cared about you all along, which is kind of the theme of the royals. Like, all the royals want to do is fuck ordinary people, pretty much. Uh-huh, fair but, enough. <laughs> that's like the crux of every single character's storyline. Like, I want power, but I also can't stop my insatiable need to... Have sexual intercourse with commoners. Okay. Here, at this point in the show, is where we're really going to have to get into the weeds. Because everything else is kind of very fast and interconnected and... I'm scared. Like, (laughs) every 30 seconds there's a new revelation to the point where we're probably going to skip a lot of the stuff that actually happens in the episode. Yeah. Just because it happened too quickly for us to process it there were moments that would be like three lines flash to a different scene four lines flash to a different scene right and like constant shifting in time a lot of the stuff we've talked about was intercut with the privy council but Mm -hmm. robert is preparing for the privy council he's looking sharp in his fancy man red uniform and he goes to liam and says um the privy council may call on you to speak on my behalf and even if they don't call on you, I want you to mm-hmm. ask to speak. And Liam's like, okay, I'll support you. And Robert says, well, it's not just that I want you to support me. I want you to denigrate Cyrus. Right. I believe denigrate is actually the word he uses. Um, and he's like, just remind them of like his drug use and his debauchery and stuff. And Liam acts like this is the most despicable suggestion in the entire world. Even though, as I've said, Cyrus is drug use and all of that and his like weird personality are public knowledge like this is a guy who has gone on talk shows in a joker costume raging about how much he hates everyone yeah to a degree it makes sense that uh right robert wouldn't want to directly attack cyrus but he would use one of his siblings as sort of his political action committee to send out the negative ads in his stead now i guess theoretically liam is particularly uh aghast at the suggestion after talking to cyrus who's in like this sunbathed room kind of silently like tearfully sitting in a chair well cyrus has had this same really fancy bedroom set that almost looks like the interior of a church like it has stained glass windows and like extremely oppressively old-fashioned baroque furniture and like lots of heavy crystal decanters of alcohol all around um, but yeah, it's really beautifully lit. I actually really loved the way this scene was shot. A lot of times they would show like kind of the back and back half side of Liam's head in the foreground with then Cyrus in the yeah. background, but in focus. Anyway, um, Cyrus is all tearful about the fact that, you know, they're about to go into the Privy Council and he might not be king. And he tells Liam that people are either at their best or their worst when they have the chance to brush greatness and he's been both and liam seems to agree with this but all i could think was when has cyrus ever been at his best as the king of england i don't know i think his response is um mostly worst 
Which Cyrus replies with, it runs in the family, I believe. Um, but that implies that there was some best. Yeah. Name one good thing Cyrus has done as king. Um, I, uh, I mean, I'd have to, maybe if I rewatch nope. the series, there would be something. It. You can't do it. I don't know. I mean, yeah. He fell in love with a girl as king. That's probably what they're trying to allude to when he Sorry. conveniently grew a soul for a minute. <laughs> now that we're podcasting together in person, I can't blow raspberries without spattering poor Zach with my spit. But yes, I assume I assume they have to be referring to that uh, violet stuff when they're talking about... Whatever. I was so not convinced by Liam's like, oh, I guess I really do love and feel sorry for Cyrus after all. When they have spent everything up until Robert came, they were battling each other. And Cyrus did everything he could to like destroy Liam. I'm sure the show would like us to be like, oh, this just goes to show how much integrity Liam has. But anyone who thinks that Cyrus is actually the best king to take care of the people who they're supposed to be looking out for as their subjects is not a good ruler. If Liam honestly thinks like, well, Cyrus should be king because Robert hurts my feelings, then he does not have the interests of the people at heart like he claims to. He's not as noble as the show would love us to believe. Um... That's probably true. Um, I suppose the best counter-argument for that is that in modern times, the king doesn't really take care of the British people. He's just kind of a figurehead, but he would be kind of an embarrassing figurehead. Who's going to waste more of the public's tax money, Cyrus yeah. or Robert? Probably Cyrus, but we'll see, uh, you know. I think with you're this... really giving Cyrus way too much slack. Yeah, I mean, certainly... The only the only time where Cyrus might not have spent so much of the public's tax money was when he was hiding in his room to hide his genetic material. I suppose he would have only spent the the taxpayer money on uh, on booze and sex workers. Yeah, and I guess chemotherapy <laughs> and more brocaded bedroom robes. Yeah, or dressing gowns, I should say. That's one thing that we should note is this is I don't I still don't understand why this is a part of the plot. But there is heavy indication that regardless of the outcome here, Cyrus is like, has seemingly life-threatening cancer that will kill him relatively soon, regardless of the outcome. I don't know why that's a part of the story. I've never really understood why that's a part of the story, but... I'm still not entirely confident that the season finale of, of this season won't be Cyrus's last episode, one way yeah. or another. I don't want it to be. I want him to kind of... Now that he has Robert to spar with, I would like him to be a full-blown antagonist once again, because there's a scene towards the end of the episode where he gets to be, like, a crazy villain, and it's awesome. But I don't know. They've given him so many outs between the cancer and, like, the suicidal impulses. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, yeah, he has full-blown cancer. Part of me feels like, skip all this kerfuffle, let this disease run its course, and then Robert can be king after Cyrus passes, which I guess sounds kind of cold, but... He's getting, one assumes, the best medical treatment money can buy. Um, yeah, uh, we should also say that um, prior to the actual Privy Council, um, I'm trying to do the semi-crime chronologically, while Robert is preparing, uh, Helena suggests and Eleanor offers that uh, Robert wear King Simon's watch with the engraving about how something like, uh, now is the time to be great because you always were on mm-hmm. the back that he gave to Eleanor for Christmas, which has apparently become a famous watch. I guess people realized that Eleanor's words in the Christmas address came from this watch. 
at some point. She talked about it on the Christmas address. Right. She quoted the the words, uh, but I, I don't know that she ever mentioned the watch. Oh, maybe they revealed after that. Anyway, yeah. the point is supposed to be that, of course, it's been long established on the show that the public loves Simon so much that they would commit murder by mob and mm-hmm. rip a man apart limb from limb uh, to avenge his death. And that even from beyond the grave, Simon's reputation still has huge like weight which makes sense to me i think that that's like an aspect of the show i've enjoyed because it feels real to how real life works but as eleanor clasps the uh watch on robert he actually looks kind of upset and helena's like simon was a great king and this will make them think that like we have the potential to have another great king and robert says very seriously i will never be my father and then the scene cuts away and it's like Dang, it's a moment. It makes me, it's a moment that makes me wish they had continued to develop the idea of Robert feeling conflicted about whether or not he wants to be king because of his time on the desert island where he sort of had like reservations about returning and the pressures of the public and the press and all of that. Yeah. There's an interesting story somewhere in here and they're kind of like dancing around it and not really jumping in with well, both feet. Like everything else in the episode, that moment is extremely rushed and that theme doesn't get a lot of play throughout the episode. You made an interesting point, though. This is the second significant timepiece we've seen Robert with because he yeah. also had his still unexplained hourglass. Yes. And part of what we expected possibly to happen in this episode going in between the title and his obsession with timepieces was that Robert could die in this one. Not in this episode specifically, but, but yeah, I mean, it was time. called Oh Farewell on a Soldier. He's yeah. obsessed with timepieces. But I think what the show is trying to imply is not that Robert is the one that we're saying a farewell to. It's Robert's honesty that we're saying right. farewell to. Like but I'm saying before, the boy who was an honest soldier is gone. Yeah, I'm saying, <laughs> but how it actually um, turned out. Anyway, um, other Le- stuff that happens before the Privy Council? Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's a scene of generic... Cyrus threatening Westcott stuff, but I don't think there's anything no, to go No, that doesn't yeah. happen until after. Um, no, so I guess the next thing would be that uh, they kind of give their... They go to the Privy Council, and initially it starts with each of the family giving their accounts of... I mean, in this case, Robert, because they're all for Robert. I don't even remember what Helena says. Like Helena says Robert would have already been king had he not gone missing while serving his country, which is a very good point especially because I think people tend to look favorably upon military service. Um, It's more than Cyrus has ever done in his life for certain. And she's like basically saying like, this is his right. And it was a mistake that he ever wasn't king. Then Liam is called upon and he says he defers to the wisdom of the court, which all of his family looks shocked and angered. But Eleanor immediately jumps to her feet and is like, okay, I'll give you a piece of my mind. How is this even a question? Basically, Eleanor speaks for me in this scene. Like, she lists off all the things that Cyrus has done, including canceling the dedication of Simon's memorial, which was, like, the public's chance to mourn his death, crashing his car through Simon's monument, knighting um, (laughs) Countess uh, Cinnamon of Skanksville, and Cyrus, under his breath, corrects her, 
Baroness Saffron, which I enjoyed his loyalty to Saffron Mm -hmm. and uh, the correct title that she wanted. Uh, And not only does the Privy Council not seem offended or that surprised by anything Eleanor says, but they are laughing after each of her lines like it's a stand-up comedy bit. Yeah. Uh, She also makes a note of how Cyrus literally has a mohawk, which is true and uh, perhaps unbecoming. I suppose... That means the next step in the process was each of the claimants uh, speaking for themselves. And Cyrus takes on this sort of fake, very concerned, paternal, paternal tone about and, and discusses how he, you know, he cares very much for Robert, but there needs to be consistency and this sort of thing is unprecedented and And he calls robert robbie which just feels like a very conscious attempt to like be like oh we're so familiar with each other i know him so well and he's like robbie will make a great king someday but not yet he's not ready which i'm like how could anyone be less ready than you everything you do is dictated by your most base emotions and impulses i mean don't get me wrong i love cyrus as a character but this is one of those moments when the sh- the universe of the show has gone outside the realm of reality i can't remember how they work this in but there's a weird i think it's something about how the the terror of unpredictability or not adhering to the rules of maybe secession and instead going with uh like general clamor or a vote but there's a slam on the chaos of the american system specifically he says just look at hillary versus trump lose lose which is the most political this show has probably ever gotten there's been a few weird references to like gun culture in america that were totally inaccurate yeah i mean it's the most toothless political commentary ever and you can tell that when they made it they didn't know who had won trump or hillary this was definitely written and filmed i think prior to the the election it makes perfect sense though that cyrus is someone who would think that hillary is just as bad as trump i think so cyrus is like the trump of england right cyrus is i will give i mean i would prefer cyrus because he is much better dressed and more hands off and better spoken that's true. Yeah. Then comes a moment of the episode I really enjoyed. Robert's speech. He stands up. He gives a pretty boilerplate speech about, like, loyalty and justice and serving the people and mm-hmm. fate and destiny. It, it wasn't anything about the speech in particular that stood out to me. It's just that Max Brown, who plays Robert, is a very charismatic and well-spoken actor. And you can sort of see how... He's supposed to be, like, a talented politician. Yeah. But the it was kind of weird. We couldn't really decide if the show wanted us to feel like, oh, we're so inspired. Robert is going to be the greatest king ever, which was clearly how the entire Privy Council audience felt. Or if we were supposed to feel like, oh, Robert is just such a good faker. He's so manipulative. Like, he doesn't actually care, but he gives great speeches. Because yeah. they sort of awkwardly framed it as both. Well, the reactions from the Privy Council and also Westcott and Cyrus, who are kind of gobsmacked by the speech. Cyrus is literally looking around at everyone like, huh? Near the end, there was like rising music that I think implied that it was supposed to be very inspirational and huge. I found the speech pretty generic, but I think they wanted us to feel like it was a big like... Not to go back into the real world, but like a uh, 
there are no red states, there are no blue states, there is only the united, like, that yeah. kind of moment. Absolutely. But it just wasn't. No, but it was in the universe of the show, let's say. Liam is scowling so hard at this point that he's making Zoolander's blue steel face because his lips are really pouted together and his brow is so, so, so furrowed, which is the face he's been making all season. And that's the reason why, even if Robert does become the villain of this show, which I'm 99.999% sure he's going to, as I have rooted for Cyrus many a time, I will continue to root for Robert. Right. Um. So after the Privy Council, Robert confronts Liam privately, and he's like, what did you do? And Liam's like, you're welcome. I didn't insult Cyrus because the people would have lost all faith in us as a family and as a monarchy. Not so, because Eleanor says the exact same things that Liam would have in a way less politically correct way. Right. And the Privy Council doesn't seem to be phased by that at all, judging by their eventual decision. Right. Yeah. So Liam is would thought that to show how petty and grievous and infighty the family was, which has actually technically been displayed many, many, many times very publicly already. Yeah would just further hurt the reputation and the solidarity of the family in the eyes of the larger public. Um, I suppose there's a... I mean, just because the, the Privy Council laughed at all of Eleanor's points, but that doesn't necessarily make his point untrue. What does make it untrue is that it's already pretty visible. In some universe, there is a world where Liam's argument kind of holds water. If Cyrus's reputation weren't already common knowledge. Right. Especially to these people who are, I think, House of Lords, not House of Commons. So they, right. like, already have kind of the social element of being a part of the peerage and have probably interacted with him a fair amount. And and he does acknowledge that that was his intention until immediately afterwards, Eleanor, I think he says something like, did your bidding like she always does or something like that. But it, it doesn't. It's not clear whether Liam's correct about that or not, because we know that everything Eleanor said is her honest opinion. Like, we've watched Eleanor and Cyrus interact for the past three seasons, and she likes him even less than Liam likes him. Robert continues to berate Liam. He's like, let's just hope you haven't screwed this up for all of us, and he storms out. Um, does anything else significant? Oh, uh, Willow comes into Liam's room with a folder of typed up and printed out statements for him to put on his social media based on either outcome, whether it's Cyrus or Robert. Um, yeah, and he kind of sort of gets flirty with her and she says what she said last episode, which is, Basically, she's sticking to the position that her relationship with him is now strictly professional. She got sick of waiting last episode, and she is maintaining that. Willow was on the previously on, so we kind of thought she would have more to do this episode than just reassert what she already said before. They're just trying to keep her in our minds. I really think something might happen involving her in the series finale, because she has absolutely nothing to do in this episode besides just repeat what she already told Liam. She really hasn't had very much of a point this season. It's because she's going to be the future queen of England. Right. So. I'm standing by that, and the teens are with me. And I actually was going to say, if we do a season four of Stage of Fools, if there's a season four of the Royals, I think we need We're to have, have like a teen on, beat on the show. Yeah. Call, uh, just a call out looking for teens on Craigslist? No, I don't no, think no, that's... no. I would go on Tumblr and find their posts and opinions and then report back on what the general mm-hmm. teen consensus is. Yeah. 
I want any teens who are listening to know that I value their opinion. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure I do, but that's fine. Hey. Um, I'm kidding. Go teens. Don't You're the future our of our country. You know. Um, Go to school. Stay um, in school. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, Willow doesn't seem to have anything to do besides reassert herself as I am a character on this show. Mm -hmm. um, she has a nice dress. She's yes, she does, and she is uh, making an even. They seem to be pushing her even further away from Liam, which makes sense as we will get into with some of the Catherine stuff that happens in a little bit. The way mm -hmm. I think that all that's going to play out, I stand by all my conspiracy theories. Is basically what I'm getting at. Anyway, everyone's waiting. Well, there's one we'll have to discuss in the Jasper storyline, but otherwise, sure. Um, oh yeah. Uh, basically everyone is waiting around for, you know, the way this announcement is going to happen, which is going to be the dumbest thing ever. The big, big ben, ben bells chiming. Everyone's like got their eyes on analog clocks ticking along. Mm -hmm. Catherine yeah. and Angie are waiting in her apartment. Um, Eleanor and Helena are sitting on a couch with Robert. Uh, Cyrus is alone in his room with the crown. Liam is sulking somewhere. Alone because mm -hmm. he's a terrible family member who's becoming the Britta Perry of the show in that he's a ruiner and everyone knows it. Yeah. And there's a great moment where it's finally midnight and there's like a long beat of silence and Cyrus stands up with a look of pure joy on his face because it seems like the bells are not going to toll. And then they do, meaning that Cyrus has lost the throne and Robert is the new king. And there's this amazing shot of Simon's portrait, which Robert was sitting right in front of, and it's in focus, and Robert stands up in front of it. And the smirks. camera Yeah, smoke uh, the camera focuses on his face and he like smirks triumphantly, and I was like, Yes, it's a new era, because even if I didn't enjoy Robert as a character, they got to give Cyrus something to do, and the only way he can have something to do is if he has to struggle for power. If he's already on top as king, as we've seen since the beginning of season two, yeah. it really cuts his legs out from under him as a character. Yeah. Um... And there was another moment I really liked, too. Uh, once the bells start tolling, Catherine bursts into tears and hugs and her and her sister embrace, which I just really liked because... They could have had her screaming joyfully and jumping up and down, but to me it seems like a more realistic human reaction that you would have that moment of like, my life is about to change and things are going to be really high pressure and scary and I don't know what the future holds. Yeah. Um, well, uh, following the big decision, <clears throat> Cyrus runs off back to the Privy Council Chamber. Where, which is empty now. And very dark. And At very times dark. it looks like he and Westcutt are sitting in a black void. Yeah, the shots of, uh, it's strange. The ones, yeah, the shots that are, uh, um, of Cyrus, like the background is pure black. And he's wearing a white shirt. Yeah. And they've also have his mohawk it's... cut out of the frame in most of it. Like they shot so tightly on him that the top of his head is cut off. So he just looks like this bald, white shirted figure against a plain, totally black background. Yeah. And there must have been some kind of backdrop because earlier with the Privy Council scenes, it was a full yeah. set. So I don't know if they put a black backdrop in that set or if it was a set constructed for the show and not a real room and yeah. they removed part of it but it, it seems to me that that was not the full set in this particular scene anyways it works well enough in terms of uh how they shot it this scene is really great though uh cyrus comes at westcott full force he's obviously 
drunk and he's like almost in tears like you promised me that you could influence the privy council and that you would make it so i would win and westcott says which is true i told you you had to win it in the room that i would do everything i could but like i can't manipulate the entire council oh yeah and then cyrus is continuing to rage at him and finally westcott just says Today we saw a king, and it wasn't you, referencing Robert's, you know, amazing speech, which seems to really take the wind out of Cyrus's sails, but he kind of just becomes unhinged and grabs Weska by the collar and is like, you're all just ordinary people and I'm the king of England, and is talking about how he's going to... I'm going to torture you and kill you and defile your pathetic little corpse. We've gone full Cyrus, which is a welcome change. Yeah. Um, uh, and then after he yells about how uh, you're just ordinary people and I'm the king of England, when he's leaving, he like has one more look back at Westcott and is like, you think it's over for me, but it's actually over for all of you in the Privy Council because I just let you be corrupt and, and Robert's, Robert's well, not going yeah. to do that. And now you're just going to be normal people again, old and normal. Common. Common is what he says, Common, yeah. Common, which is a very British word. Um, I also think, I believe this happened in the scene with the decision. But, uh, and if not, we'll cut this and get back to it later. But there's a shot of Cyrus after the decision slumped in his chair, and the music syncs up on... I am a sad boy. Darren. Yeah, the most on-the-nose, one of my favorite on-the-nose musical cues in the history of this show is Cyrus in his chair, pouting with I am a sad boy playing <laughs> underneath. Uh, it's very good. It's amazing. It's up there with the, like, Liam and Robert stepping into the ring as a song says, like, we're gonna fight for the crown. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's one of the best on-the-nose <laughs> Royals musical cues and very audible in a way that sometimes they're a little bit quieter. Yeah. If we ever make up a Royals drinking game, which feels like something we should do at some point, that would definitely be a finish your drink moment. At any time there's a super on the nose musical cue. By contrast, Robert uh, sneaks out of the palace and goes to Catherine's place. You know, she's surprised to see him because obviously he just became the king of England. And initially he's like, let's go out in the town, let's celebrate. He found some Prince Robert I think he's masks. he's joking though yeah. when he talks about going Probably out. Probably so. But he has, like, this little Prince Robert mask prop that he found on his way over. You know, like one of those uh, photos that have just, like, the cut-out eyes. Which are very popular in right. England. And you could see, I mean, you see them in America sometimes of famous yeah, people. Yeah, but you would be surprised. They're way more prevalent overseas. I remember when I was living in London in 2013, you couldn't go into, like, any little shop without seeing the One Direction paper mm -hmm. masks. Yeah. Um, and Catherine says that... She loves him. And he kisses her in response, which is not the same thing. Right. And he kind of says, or instead of going out, you could just uh, have, like, I think it's mind-blowing sex, sex mind -blowing with sex. the new king of England. But he never responds in kind with, yeah. I love you. And they go over to the bed. Tasteful and fade. Tasteful fade. <laughs> A little while later in the episode, again, this is much more coherent than it comes across in the episode, because, again, there's a lot of cutting between stuff that makes it hard to follow things. But later in the episode, they return, at the very end, I think, to her room, 
where he is gone and he has left the paper mask on the pillow next to her bed. I think it's supposed to be an intentional contrast to the beginning of the season where she sleeps with Liam and wakes up in the morning and thinks he's gone for a moment, Ugh. but he's still there at the table. I'd rather get the paper mask. Yeah. <laughs> but I no. think this is one of those moments, along with when he yelled at Liam for not, like, denigrating Cyrus, where they're like, oh, this guy is... and, and the implica- news. Yes. And he actually admits during the scene where he... Uh, where he denigrates Liam, and Liam repeats, like, people are either at their best or their worst when they're close to power. And he says something about how, like, I have to be at my worst. No one gives you a crown. You have to take it, which is a very villain thing to say. I liked it. When you play the Game of Thrones, you either win or you die. Yeah. So this is a lot of stuff that makes it seem like Robert's going to be turned into, like, uh, the villain in the finale. Perhaps a good argument that part of the reason he didn't get saved from the desert island is that he worried about what, um, being powerful or being close to power was doing to him as a person. And maybe this is supposed to be a manifestation of those worries. Uh, maybe that might be a stretch, but. If they could somehow bring all the different Robert elements they've introduced into something cohesive for the finale, I would be thrilled, but I don't think that's going to happen. No, I think they uh, just have too many threads, which is a common problem on they this thought of so show. Many, they thought of so many interesting things to do with Robert, and they decided to do all of them and follow through on none of them. What they should have done is scrap a few of the interesting things they thought of for Robert and gave them to, to Cyrus or James Hill. If they had found an issue where the schism between Liam and Robert is that I think Liam is ideally supposed to be the one who has like the heart whereas Robert has like the logical the mind the brain we never found out what happened to Violet she literally disappeared and no one knows what happened I don't to her. think she's coming back neither no but we still don't know who killed her or why or how or if she ran away touchy maybe <laughs> but it was never really established no, it wasn't. like that's but I just want to put that on the podcast to go to show like oh. how much this show will just throw something away that I think they spent an entire season on. I feel like Prudence has been thrown away more or less too. Yeah, she had Cyrus's baby. There's another bi- there's another person with a biological claim to the throne running around out there, mm. toddling around out there, I suppose. Uh-huh. I think that the whole like Catherine waking up and Robert's not there, first of all, I get that that's not like a cool thing to do, but if there was ever a legitimate excuse to sneak out on someone Having to attend to kingly stuff because you were just made king that night is a pretty good excuse. But I see what they're going for. As they've been saying all season, like, Liam and Catherine are the ones who are right for each other. It seems like they're breaking off things between Willow and Liam. I hope this isn't the end of her being on the show. I hope that she will get to stick around in some capacity. And it seems like the most likely thing might be as a love interest for Robert based on those scenes that they've had together, which otherwise were also completely pointless. But who knows? Uh, But now let's get into the Jasper and James Hill stuff. Sure. There's a shot at the end of the episode that has some nice and some awful of Cyrus looking at his still somewhat unfinished portrait. Um... And then considering a snifter of brandy and a loaded sort of (laughs) 1940s looking revolver next to him. Now, I guess that's a callback to his threatened suicide. I really loved this portrait. It looks a little bit more surreal than Simon's portrait. Like Simon's portrait looks like someone took a picture of him and made as realistic a Mm -hmm. portrait they could. 
which was also true of Eleanor's portrait before the face was spray painted out. Cyrus's portrait, he has like a very exaggerated nose, a very exaggerated sharp jawline. One of his eyebrows is like highly, highly, highly raised past even the point nah. that Cyrus usually does. And he has his full head of beautiful hair. So I really loved this portrait. Yeah. And the background is... uh as of yet, not even completed. Yeah. So, uh, meanwhile, Jasper is back around the palace. We already mentioned that he uh, runs into Eleanor earlier, but he has other things going on, too. Specifically, um, I don't even remember in the previous episode him giving this flash drive to Harper that apparently has all the evidence, just the, the evidence. evidence for this Boone story. But apparently he did. I thought he was just going to go collect it, but the previously on has him giving her a flash drive. I remember this scene. Um, Zach missed it. Anyways, um, so now he has, he apparently took all this evidence off of the big confidential computer at the palace where he found, okay, the evidence for Boone crashing Robert's plane and that Boone did it. Now here's the Under problem. Ted Price's orders. Under Ted Price's orders. Here's the thing. During the Privy Council, Robert publicly discusses how Ted Price attempted to kill him by crashing his plane. So this evidence, which convicts Boone, a low-level thug, was kept confidential by the palace and out of the hands of reporters for reasons? To protect this guy? It doesn't make any sense, and I have a feeling Boone is going to be involved in the, in the season finale, so... Anyways. Okay. <laughs> James Hill is in hot water for this because now it looks it's like... It's encrypted to his computer, right. so it looks like he was the one who released Leaked it. this document, which is going to land him not only out of a job, but probably in prison. For treason. Yeah. And after some unnamed guy tells James Hill he's yeah. probably going to prison... They have one of those moments that shows always do where it's like, Character I've never seen before. You and I have known each other for years. You see me all the time. You know okay. I wouldn't do this. I'm establishing our rapport by telling you that uh -huh. we see each other all the time. This 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 aspect of the storyline is probably the messiest bit. And remember, this is all intercut with the other stuff we've already talked about. Yeah, this episode is like a fruit salad. It's just all jumbled together. With I mean, we're talking about it totally out of order. Like in the secret tunnels where everything happens all the time. James Hill has a big confrontation with Jasper where he's like... I made a mistake in trusting you, and now I'm on the line for it, and Sarah Alice won't have a father. He says she'll go to an orphanage. I'm just like, oh like, my god. I think he might says an orphanage just like where you came yeah. from. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Jasper is obviously near tears over this, um, which makes sense. He should feel terrible. He is terrible. And, you know... And he, he says he'll take the fall or whatever, but... He, and, James and, Hill's like, it's too late. Yeah, he's like, either way, I'm going to be in huge trouble for, like, trusting you with this information. But um, here's the thing. Before we get into the next scene where Jasper does turn himself in, I really tried to give the character Jasper a chance this season. Play our season three recordings back, and you will see that even though he was a character I initially strongly disliked in the first two seasons, I like Tom Austin. He's really good at switching in between a British and American accent. And he's really funny. He has like a dry wit. And yeah. it was there was a lot of good Jasper stuff this season. But ever since they have they had yet another pointless gaslighting of Eleanor where then he just comes back and is like, I love you, so come with me, even though there's no reason why you should. I just like I feel like Eleanor, like, I'm so done with this shit. I, I gave him a chance, and they're just 
falling back on their same old bag of tricks. So I think it's fair to say that assuming you're okay with the big old reset button that the show occasionally hits and they hit early in the season when he and Eleanor started a relationship proper, he wasn't too bad up until the Christmas episode. Yeah, but now I'm just like tired. Jasper goes into James's office where there are a bunch of like official looking guys doing investigations and turns himself in and he's about to be arrested when Robert steps in and is like unhand this man. Don't arrest him. He's not a criminal. He's a hero because I told him to do all of that which is completely untrue right. but it took the show was so weirdly edited and done that the first time we watched it we're like wait has that a reveal they've been sitting on this whole time was robert actually behind it but no it turns out that um robert just still feels somewhat indebted to jasper because jasper was the one who caught ted price as the murder of robert's father simon and now that robert is king um he's going to poach Jasper away from Liam and have him as his own bodyguard because Jasper's clearly the best at bodyguarding and Robert wants the best. But the reason Robert is able to poach Jasper away from Liam with ease is because as soon as Robert and all the security people leave James's office and Jasper starts apologizing to James again, James says, turn in your badge and gun, you're fired. Basically, in all but those exact words. And then he's asking Jasper to put his gun on the table and Jasper's protesting. And James has what may be his best line this whole season when he yells at the top of his lungs, Put it on the table! It's actually a side of the actor that we rarely get to see because he's usually just so kind of comedic and dry. Yeah. But uh, he's clearly, like, extremely agitated and that one line in particular is a big like emotional break for him which is james hill as a character who has done nothing for the past yeah i don't know eight episodes uh it was nice to at least have a bit of an emotional or an arcing moment for him yeah and jasper Uh, says you know i love her right obviously referring to eleanor and james says well yeah i do but that's not enough anymore i'm like It never should have been enough. Loving someone who works in the palace was a reason for him not to work for you, not a reason for him to definitely work with you. Well, yeah, James is very clearly hurt that he fully violated his trust. And I think there's even several chances, like everyone has. I think there's even an an inclination that if he had just talked to James Hill about this issue, like if he had talked to Eleanor about this issue, maybe it would have been just fine. Um, But he didn't in both cases. Um, and uh, instead, he took the secret files. And now that they're out, a man who should have already been in prison will go to prison and nothing else will happen? Again, I don't understand why these were I don't understand what's going to happen to Boone. There's almost no mention of him in all the James Hill and Jasper I stuff, even though he's right at the heart of it. But the scene basically ends with Jasper being like, tell Sarah Alice I say goodbye and like, I'm sorry that I ever hurt you, etc. And uh, James wants to have security walk him out, and Jasper says, like, you can watch me on the cameras. I know the way. And we're supposed to feel so sorry for him before he immediately gets snapped up by Robert. By Robert, who says, if those bells ring at midnight, you have a job again. And then it's back down to the secret tunnels for a final scene between Jasper and Liam. And... This is obviously setting us up for the big finale because Jasper says that Boone revealed a secret about Robert to him, but once Liam hears it, there's no going back. And Liam's like, I'm okay with that. Besides, I have no place to go back to. 
What did Boone say about Robert? It should be mentioned about Robert's job offer to Jasper. Um, one, the reason he made it is because he wants to have the very best. And apparently Jasper is uh, the very best. Guard my body. And Bodyguard. yeah. Oh, maybe. <laughs> so this was actually a theory that I had. Um, maybe Liam is trying to steal Catherine from Robert, but at the same time, Robert is trying to steal Jasper from Eleanor. I would love if this show had a non-heteronormative romance. That would be awesome. But uh, one of the provisos of this job offer is that Jasper got to leave Eleanor alone. However, this kind of punctures the theory that Zach and I had that Robert was the one who leaked the info about Jasper to destroy him, unless somehow he thought he could break the two of them up but still keep Jasper, Jasper on as, as a staff his... member. But he says very sincerely that he owed Jasper because of his father's death, and it seems to be a genuine moment. There's so. still a chance that he leaked it, but like it just it's doesn't improbable seem... Now. Like, he has that much animosity towards Jasper, per se. Um, Although there's still a lot of animosity over who gets uh, to use the family gym. Yeah, they mention the family gym again, <laughs> um, because they're obsessed with the family gym. The term family gym. Specifically, yeah, they say family gym. But um, the problem with that is, I guess, if it wasn't Robert, we're just supposed to assume Jasper's dad gave that leak... Like, who we've never met and don't care about. And have never seen and have never heard the voice of and don't know anything about. Yeah. Or, like, I don't know why. Like, they could have just said, like, it leaked from a palace staff member or anything. But I don't know. It just seems so pointless to include this sort of subplot, specifically in the Christmas episode, of, like, somebody leaked this and it's kind of a mystery and Harper won't tell him. If the answer is, yeah, it was just his dad, who we never see and will never see. Yeah, it's really dumb. I don't know. There's a lot of balls in the air. I expect most of them will come crashing to the floor during the finale, but you'll have to join us next time yeah. to hear us struggle to, to muddle through what all of that. Robert's horrible secret that Boone knew for some reason. The only thing that really makes sense to me, because they're both soldiers, is that a reveal that, like, Robert in the heat of battle actually lost his head and like killed innocent people or civilians or something like that or committed some sort of war crimes or deserted his fellow soldiers but I don't think the royals is going to do anything as serious as that what the royals considers to be a serious problem is dating someone below your social standing My... or using drugs a little bit too much even though this episode was kind of a jumble there were elements about it i really liked and with sure. that in mind what was your favorite moment or image from this episode i suppose i'll go with maybe i'll go with the scene of cyrus threatening westcott because he did feel like a moment for a moment like old real villain cyrus and yeah. hopefully that's an indication of things to come if they don't end up killing that character next episode hopefully that's the kind of cyrus we get going forward so, uh, yeah, I'll just go with that, I think. Well, I love James's, put it on the table! But I think that my favorite image of the episode was the moment when Robert stood up in front of Simon's portrait as the bells began to toll and a smirk kind of spread across his face. It was sort of ominous, but also sort of inspiring at the same time, which is probably the best summary of Robert as a character that I could go with so far. Sure. Uh, so... I'm excited for the finale. I will say, though, 
season three has been so strong in general, and I don't feel that this penultimate uh, episode really bore that out. I feel like... So I don't feel as good going into the finale no. as I might have coming off of episode eight. Yeah, I feel like they're gonna flub the landing a little bit on this one. Yeah. I feel like the boxing episode is still maybe the season high point right. for me. And, and the problem is we discussed, which uh, we discussed off the air a little bit, is some of the stuff that happened in this episode, particularly in the Jasper storyline... Should have really been sprinkled in in the past two episodes yeah. more. Like, the stuff with James Hill specifically, I feel like could have been a subplot in, like, the last episode and move the Harper stuff from the last episode to the boxing episode where Jasper just wasn't present. And then this episode would feel less stuffed. Probably, yeah. Oh well, Mark Schwann, if you're listening, take note. Uh, until next time, I've been Shannon Camp. I'm Zach Powers. See ya. Bye. Visit Stage of Fools on our Twitter, at Stage of Fools Pod, or on our Facebook page, Stage of Fools. The Royals is property of E. Stage of Fools is produced by Darren Husted, artwork by Joshua Holliff. 